Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It is the start of the year and we are talking about all things pay rises. And we're talking about our new book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. This is the only book that you need if you want a pay rise, if you want a promotion, if you want a new career, if you want to step into my advanced income quadrant and make more money, if you want to learn how to start to take more risks in your career, in your life, this book will help you. There's a link in the show notes. And this episode, I'm back with Shell Johnson, the co-author of Sort Your Career Out. Shell, welcome back. Hey, hey. We are just reading case studies about people who have written in, wanted a pay rise and want to know how to go about it. Don't listen to this episode first. Go back and listen to the episode before this, part one, and uh, that will set the scene. Now, some great news before we get started. Today, we are announcing our new show partner for 2023, Global X, formerly ETF Securities. Whether you're new at investing or it's not your first rodeo, Global X have a wide range of thematic ETFs for you to add to your portfolio. You'll hear more about Global X in the coming year. We're really thankful for companies that want to get behind financial literacy and investing education. And I know that Global X will provide a whole heap of value to you, all the investing content or just the fact that they are supporting the My Millennial Money podcast, which employs five people. So thank you so much to Global X. You can learn more by clicking the link in the show notes or head to globalxetfs.com.au. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. Okay, we're keeping these anonymous. I'm going to read this out. I'm then going to ask Shell what we're going to do. The first one, anonymous. So I've been with the company since February 2022, so about 12 months. I am a recruitment consultant for an Australian company. I hire nurses, midwives, and caregivers from New Zealand who want to work in Australia. My role is remote. I basically requested a pay rise and was told to revisit in the new year, which is now. I'm currently on $63,000. Looking at the market, I should be on at least 80K and I never really got the chance to negotiate my salary when I first started as I was in a tight spot and I couldn't afford to be jobless. I mean, there's a lot just there as well. I've been working as a recruiter for almost two years now. However, I do have a bachelor's degree in HR too. So what do we do? We've got a degree qualified individual in the field, Two years experience, so we're, I would think we're at a baseline understanding of the lay of the land, 63K, wanting 80K. What does this individual do, Shell? Yeah, this is an awesome case study. And I just, while you were talking, Googled Hayes Salary Guide. Now, they release a salary guide every year and in it they survey a whole stack of organisations across Australia and they find out what is the average salary range based on role. And I looked up recruitment advisor. That's one of the positions that they survey. And the recruitment advisor is pitched in the market between 80 to 110. Right. So couldn't tell you if that includes super or not, but let's just, that gives us an indicator that pre, this person is yeah. paid well below market. So just on that, 
I mean, I've said to people, and it look, it probably with new norms now, it's probably not a big deal. But I reckon, and if you had to commute like forty minutes each each way to work, and you're now working from home, with the travel time, the travel costs, whether it's fuel, transport, and the fact that you might not have to buy new clothes and all that stuff, like working remote, I reckon it's got to be worth ten to fifteen grand. Like it's just got to be. I, I, but <laughs> we're in a new norm now, and remote work is a norm for a lot of people. Yeah, remote work has become an expectation. And I think there's a couple of things happening here. I think this employer is paying below market. Straight up, yeah. So that's where I think we need to go. If you're paid, if you look at the market and you're at 60K and the market's saying that that role, let's say the recruitment advisor is paid between on average 80 to 110K, well, there's a problem there with the way your organisation is benchmarking their salaries. That could be the way you kind of discuss it to go, look, Ultimately, my salary goal is to get to 85 grand. At the moment, I can see I'm paid well below that. Can we have a discussion about how salaries are benchmarked here? Because you make that problem about what the problem is rather than about the fact that you want a pay rise. Actually, what you want is to be paid market rate. Last year, I got an email from a company and they were saying, oh, we're not going ahead with advertising because of X, Y, Z. And, you know, working with corporates, you know, that whole paragraph is corporate BS. So I push back and I'm like, okay, well, tell me exactly what you need to prove. Like, actually show me. Don't just give me BS. And it's a polite way to actually sometimes see if they're just being tired or not wanting to pay. And by saying, can you let me understand how you're actually benchmarking this is a soft way to call any bluff, I think. Yeah, and it's a really good strategy when you find out that you're paid well below market. Now, if you're in a small business, like a startup environment, let's say this is a recruitment firm that's just launched and it's a startup recruitment firm and they don't have heaps of clients and they're building a business. Well, that might be fine and you might be prepared to do that while they're in that growth phase. But if it's an established recruitment business with a decent amount of clients and also for the record, recruiters know what salaries should be because they're bloody sorting that, that out for clients. That is their job, yes. Like they know. So so there's a few concerns for me in this one of like mm. they're hiring people nonstop and they understand what the salary market is. One step further, just to give the business a little bit of grace because I think they are paying under, but, you know, and look, I don't know if this, is, this person is actually in New Zealand or not or in Australia. It shouldn't matter too much, I would imagine, what if you said, you had the conversation and they're like, oh, we don't have cash flow, blah, blah, blah. You go, okay, this is on the proviso that I like the company, they're legitimate startup or they they seem legitimate and they blah, blah, blah. They're not trying to screw people from what I understand. What if this person said, hey, I've placed five people a week for the last six months. What about any jobs that I place over five, I want... 50% of the fee or 30% of the placement fee and get a bit of commission in the door. So it's less risk for them uh, as a business. Yeah, you can you can absolutely negotiate on different arrangements like that. So let's say we get a bonus per placement or whatever. Mm. Go, think creatively about it. I think I come back to this sense of you, you want to assess, is your role doing 
the fullness of what that role that I've looked at this market data is doing. Like you want to know that because sometimes it might be called recruitment consultant internally, but it's more of a coordination role or administrative role, in which case maybe that is placed appropriately. But I, I guess what I'm saying is if you figure out that you're paid well below market and they're not prepared to move up on that and move up in a relatively quick time frame, I think the best option is to leave. You'll get a pay rise straight away. Yeah, and that's it. And on the proviso that you do know that there has been other red flags, the culture sucks, they're rude to staff and there's a high turnover and all the bad red flags. And maybe, you know, you need to do an episode on the My Millennial Career podcast about five red flags of an employer. I don't know. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. If there are red flags, you're straight up going, you know what? I'm not fighting this fight because if I get the extra 20 grand, all these other problems aren't going away anyway. You said that you needed the money at the time and you were a pinch. You've got some money. Let's find a new job. And when you are going for a new job, I wanted a career change. I wanted, and maybe that's another thing. How do you, how do you tell the story for a new boss? why you left the other place because I don't think you want to shat can the last employee because you want to have grace and all that stuff. We did do a good one on My Millennial Career, a Q&A episode on that actually. So if, go back and have a listen because we talk about how do you tell them about how you left. Sure. So yeah, it's it's good about leaving right, but I think that's a big question mark over that one. And Anonymous, you are not crazy. Next one. I'm 29 years old working as a senior consultant at a big four in internal audit slash risk advisory. I started with this team in May 2022, so not yet 12 months. Previously, I was living in Europe, working in external audit at another big four for about three years. I have a bachelor in business accounting and marketing, master of accounting and control from Europe, similar to honors in Australia, and I'm a newly chartered accountant previous work experience in the Attorney General's Department in Emergency Crisis Management for one year, and this person uh, currently based in Brisbane. I'm currently on 82, including super. Gosh, that's got to change. I (laughs) received, can I give commentary along the way? I received a 10K signing bonus when I started so that I could pay back my old firm for the um, chartered accounting fees. Salary-wise, I found out that I'm lowest paid senior consultant in my team despite having more experience and two more degrees than some of the others. So how does this person go about the discussion? Because it's funny, show like me being in the position that I am, reading so many stories and things from the My Millennial Money community, knowing a lot of young professionals, all the stuff that people send in, some of this stuff that I look at, it's straight up, you're underpaid. Yeah. What's your take on this situation? Like we're almost 30 well qualified and hygiene factor that you're good at your job. I must stress all these examples, we're assuming that the anonymous person is good at their job. It's really interesting actually that they, yeah, they've got their bachelor in business, they've got their master's of accounting, they've got their CA, the chartered accountant qualifications. In a city for a big four. Hey, you know, it's interesting. I don't know the way that bonuses are structured in the big four, but I know that their starting salaries can be lower. Mm. And I think you're getting the brand name, but then it's a surprise to some people because they're like, oh, I'm working at one of these really well-known brands that everyone wants to work at, but the starting salary is 82K or whatever. And and I do think that's low. So I'm just thinking about it and going, I mean, the other added complexity is that she's then seen the other consultants paid higher. Yes, but I'm looking at this and I'm not excusing any form of people getting paid less than what they, you know, that they 
deserve based on their experience and skills. But I'm looking at this, if I'm the manager or the person who sets the pay, for the first 12 months, the salary is actually 92 because they did pay a signing bonus. So that's just a line item salary, that person, 92 grand. So realistically for these first 12 months, you're on 92. That's right. Yeah. So you've got this 10K and and chances are you get some big bonuses along the way as a consultant when you land gigs and, and whatnot. What are you doing in this situation? Because I know what I'm doing. You tell me first. What I'm doing, you know, it was May 22 that you started. You know, we're now in January. I'm just really getting your ducks lined up. Listen to the episode before this first. And we're going to deal with this at the 12 month review. Yeah. And you need to be clear with them to say, hey, peeps, I'm 29 years old. I'm well qualified. I add so much value here and you've demonstrated it. And this is the dance of knowing personalities and all that and how, you know, you might say, can I talk freely? <laughs> I always like doing that sometimes because what it does. May I talk freely for a moment? It just kind of goes pause off the record. It also lowers their defences. Totally. So you've got permission to speak freely. Look, over the next three to five years, I would love to be on 150K. Is this happening here? Like, I don't want to move. I want to stay here. Can this be a reality? If yes, how do we get there? And you know what? When you are in the big, a big four consulting group or you're in a really large business, that is a likelihood. Yeah, Because there's up. huge role movement. If you've got... 10,000 people in an organization, you've got a lot of job movement. So I love that approach of going, wait to the one year review. Typically you should have an annual pay cycle review in, in bigger business. And then you bring up not just that you want to pay rise now, but you also want to get to 150K. How do I make that happen? Yeah. And in this instance, and I just made that 150K up. We're not saying that's more or less or whatever. It's just an example. You might be worth 200 grand, not sure. In this instance, I'm probably, like in the last episode show, we talked about prepping them and all that stuff. I'm probably not really worrying about telling them about salary review. I'm just wanting to make sure we can book in and have a 12-month review of the role. As part of that meeting, when you're in the actual meeting, then saying, if it hasn't been covered, by the way, it's probably not appropriate to discuss now, but can we swing back around next fortnight and discuss salary. Like, I, I don't know, I, I'm not bringing it up. I'm just getting to that meeting. If it's not covered there or it might come up organically, if it doesn't and it's weird and all that, you need to say it at that meeting and get another meeting booked before you leave that room to discuss salary. Because if they don't want to do that within the next two weeks, I'm out of there. If I am legitimately underpaid by a significant amount, I don't know. All right, let's have a look at the next one. And we'll keep it anonymous. And what I've done, Shell, I'm making a note of the order that we're reading these because I'm going to send the Dropbox file to these people as soon as we get it edited before it goes live just so they can have it for like sooner uh, for their planning. Amazing. So the third case study. Oh, we've got another big four banger. I work as a graduate data analyst based in Melbourne at a big four bank and I'm looking for a pay rise slash promotion early next year. I've been in the job since February, so about 12 months, and I'm supposed to be in the grad program till May, but trying to leave it early. Before this job, I previously earned $80,000, not including super, and I'm now working for 75K inclusive of super. So yeah, definitely looking to increase a bit. My work is giving everyone at my level a guaranteed pay rise of 5% at the start of this year. So that will be automatically 
added to my salary, but I'm also going for a promotion at the same time, hoping to have some difficult conversations about the promotion, also factoring in the 5% because it seems unfair that because my promotion is likely to uh, come soon after the pay rise, I'll lose out on the benefits of a new position. I'm probably hoping to be on 95K plus super. So what does that say to us? It says that we're currently working for less than what we were paid previously. So for some reason, you've taken this job knowing. So there must have been a reason you took the job with this big four. Yeah, so the grad program, they've sure. taken a role in the grad program. We're at 75 inclusive of super at one of the big four banks. Now that's standard for a grad program. Right. And I want to say to this person, and this might be a bit of tough love, but I would want you to stick out that grad program. It says a lot far out. But let's just say it's a y- one year. I would like to see you stick that out. If you've got a promotion coming up and they're actually wanting you to take the promotion ahead, Within the grad program. Great. Go yes, for it. Yes. But, but I'm sensing, and again, tough love, I feel there's a little bit of entitlement sneaking in here. If you're fresh out of uni, you've just finished your degree, you're on 75K, you've got a promotion lined up, that's a pretty good career trajectory straight out of uni. Because they didn't have to give you the promotion. Exactly. They've chosen you for whatever reason. So, yeah, and this is the thing, like, we don't know the whole story. There might be more. So, we are erring on the side of you being a little brat for the entertainment purposes. But um, honestly, my own advice would be exactly what Shell said. Finish the grad program with the promotion inside. Then go, okay, talk to your leaders what can I do now in this business? And tell them, I would love, and you've said, I'm hoping to be on the 95K range. After the grad program and the promotion, can't you be like, hey, I want to be on 120. What do I need to do? That's right. And catapult. Catapult or catapult? <laughs> catapult. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good at England. You know this. Catapult. Um, well, I, I think it is important to think about your career timeline. So let's just say you've spent the last four years at uni you finish uni, you land a job straight out of uni for 80K, then you get on the grad program with one of the big four banks and you get paid 75 inclusive super. Good tick, tick, tick. That's going to give you huge experience, huge exposure. And there's lots of jobs in those environments so you can have a fast-tracked career development pipeline. To me, if you're getting really fixated on pay early in your career, it's a bit of a red flag because what I want you to do is get as much experience as possible first early and then figure out what am I really good at, then you start to angle your way towards those things. Watch out for entitlement. So the language here where it says, it seems unfair because my promotion is likely coming two weeks after the pay rise and then I lose out on the benefits in my new position. I get a, a little, when we start getting into that unfairness, I deserve, I, that those tend to be entitlement mentality coming in. So just be care, conscious of that. Now, I'm not saying that's the case, but I am just signaling that we want to be cautious in the early part of our career that we're not coming across in that way, that we're actually going, oh, wow, the fact that you've gotten a promotion in the first 12 months is amazing. So you're obviously doing some really good stuff, but I like what you said, Glenn, of talk to them when you get the promotion about my goal is to get to 120K. What do I need to do to get there? Yeah. And I will say this is exactly what we talked about in the book and I drew the diagram at the start of your career if you kind of draw that axis, the X, Y, with the little triangle or the 45 degree angle, I forget which side the X and the Y, but if age is at the bottom, like 20 years old at the start and 70 at the end, end of career, and the line is your income, 
it will be flat for the first few years. I realistically didn't start making lots of money till I was probably almost 30. You know, I was, you know, I started my business when I was 25. As an employee, I was earning crap money, but I knew the value of the experience and not necessarily the money. Yeah, so in my early 20s. I think you what you're talking about there is when you in the early part of your career, it's about gaining breadth of experience. So you want to have diverse experiences early. But often when you've got breadth, you're not specialising. And the more specialised you can go, the more income you can potentially gain or the more you move into management roles. Now, I think that's the beauty of these grad programs, right? They get you into all these different teams. So you're getting that experience. Mm. But it is about, remember we talked in the part one of this, it's a long game. Your career is a long game and don't go too hard too early because that can rub employers the wrong way. And I just want to add to this big four corporate world, like we know the corporate world is a big machine. We know there's levels of bureaucracy and hierarchy, right? And you step back and look at that big machine and it's like, oh my gosh, that big machine, they don't even care about salaries and all that. But there's the other human element within that machine, little cogs that make the machine work are still people. On a human level, those managers Within this team, if you said, hey, guys, I want to stop the grad program, this is rubbish, and I want more money and do something else, that management team, they're going to make a judgment call whether it's right or wrong, whether you've been hard done by or not. But if you want longevity in that business, in a year's time, when there's a promotion to happen and it's you who are like, I want more money, I want out of this dumb grad program, if it's the same pool of people choosing someone else who... They completed the grad program, they were diligent and blah, 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 versus this person over here who was, I deserve this and this is unfair. I bet you they're going to choose the other person, provided you're both at a good level of capability. And that sounds wild, but you've just got to remember the human component. Yeah, people don't forget these conversations easily. Exactly. That's why we need to do the pay conversation really well because people remember, it's like they commit it to their memory. Totally. And as an employer of people... I've got a very long memory, good and bad. Yeah. And I'm just, now I want to like get all your horror stories of like bad pay rise, but we're not going to do that because we've got one more question after the break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com weightloss weight loss. That's PlushCare.com weightloss weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Remember, if you haven't already, go to the show notes, click the link, sort your career out and make more money. Everything we're talking about today, it's written in the book for you. Shell, I haven't read the book myself, but <laughs> but I know you're good at what you do. I've read my chapters, haven't had time to read your stuff. I've skimmed. You do actually talk about the practical, tactical stuff about resumes, cover letters and all that stuff. Yeah, we go deep on how to structure your resume, cover letter, how to nail the interview, which is really important. And a lot of people at the beginning of the year start looking for a new job. So there's some really good content to help you there. Curveball, if I want a promotion within the same business, would you have the meeting with your team member, write a letter I'm just thinking because you've just always got to stand out. That's my whole thing. Every time I've done anything in my career, stand out, leave an impression. First impressions last, but guess what? Impressions last. Imagine this. You've been in the role two years. Even our last questioner finishes the grad program with grace, writes a nice written letter to the bosses or their managers, signs it, has a meeting, and the letter reads, oh, hey, guys, thanks for the meeting today. Give the letter. Dear manager... I just want to say thank you so much for um, the last couple of years. I'm really looking forward to this year. Like, can you use letters like that to stand out? Totally. A card saying thank you with specific feedback about what you're grateful for mm. is so memorable and absolutely makes you stand out. I remember once uh, an employee that I saw, they were given a $300 gift card at Christmas and everyone was given that in the whole business, Glenn. So, you know, couple hundred staff, everyone gets a $300 gift card as their Christmas thanks. This one person wrote a thank you card to HR. Out of, you know, 200 staff, one person. And I still remember how much, because I mean, it was a fairly simple thing, right? It wasn't a huge gesture, but for that person, they wrote this handwritten beautiful card detailing how grateful they were, how much that meant to them and how much it topped their year off. And that stuck with me mm. for so long. And I think you can do that in various points at your career because often we forget as employees, bosses don't often get any thanks and they actually shouldn't do the job to get thanks, right? But it can be that moment of, oh my gosh, someone's just sent me a handwritten card saying thank you. That's just made my whole year. <laughs> yeah, I remember I mean? like I said it when I was an employee a million years ago because I'm a dinosaur now. I said it to when I was employed, like in everything that we do, we have to remember the human factor. As much as there's systems and processes, how do you remember the human factor? And I think as we're talking about pay, if you do land a pay rise out of these learnings, part one and part two, if you get a pay rise, do this exact thing. Mm. Write the handwritten card. Like I wouldn't do it on a letter and sign yeah, it necessarily. I'm, but I'm a boomer, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was picturing you with a letterhead yeah, and like- scroll. <laughs> Yeah, on stone tablets or something. Yeah. But what I want you to do is test this, write a card, send it physically. Sometimes there's something really amazing about hard copy, old school, mm. but do something like that and see, let us know how you go. Yeah, because it's all about standing out and it's all about being thankful and doing everything with grace. As much as you might hate them and you're out of there, like don't do a big walkout and rant if you're leaving. Just, you know, listen to the resigning with grace. All this to say, none of that crap's in the book, but the book's really good, but it will help you with cover letters. What's the biggest lesson 
when they say, send your resume and your cover letter to, what do you do in a cover letter? A cover letter is what makes you stand out. This is so key. So start your cover letter with making it about the business, not about you. So you might want to reference one of the core values. So let's say the business's core value is, what if one of the, well, your core value, what's one of your core values? Uh, Well, we don't advertise it, but if we did, one of them is always prepared, always agile. Okay. So I would, in my cover letter, when I apply for your job or something, (laughs) if I'm going for a job at My Millennial Money, I would say, I'm really excited about this position. In my experience, I've demonstrated that I'm always prepared and always agile by doing X, Y, and Z. And I align with the mission and purpose of your business. So you're showing straight up in your opening paragraph how you align to that business and what they do, which makes you stand out from everyone else because everyone else is just making it about them. I'm probably like, I, you know, Nathan, JK, and Rach, I hired without seeing a resume or cover letter because I just vibed it out. But like, I would probably hire someone off the basis of the cover letter more so than the resume. The resume is hygiene data. That's right. The resume is really just you seeing what job experience have they had. Yeah, that's all. I don't care if you're in the sports team at high school, don't care anymore. Or if you worked at Video Easy yeah. in the early 2000s. Video Sleazy. But yeah, there's a link in the show notes, sort your career out and make more money. This book will change your life and allow you to make more money. Thank you so much for supporting everything we do here at My Millennial Money. It's just one way that we add value and help pay our own bills. Last case study. I've been told I'm getting a pay rise imminently. I'm a project coordinator in an IT company in Bris Vegas, and there's about 20 staff. I was hired in December of last year and trained as a technician for the first four months on 55k before tax. After moving into my current role, I took on more responsibilities, quoting, invoicing, managing staff and their schedules, as well as contributing to the technical work to prepare projects for the on-site work. I got a 5k rise when my probation period ended after six months And two weeks later, the whole company got a 5% raise to help with inflation. That's nice. I guess if they haven't screwed everyone for about 20 years before that. Uh, Sorry, I'll get back to it. Putting me at 63K before tax. Since then, I have continued to work in the same position and occasionally filled in for my direct manager when he was off sick. And that was, they said it was just during COVID, he was off for 10 days. He also came back with hardly any work outstanding because I'd been doing it all as well as my business as usual tasks. If I was looking to go elsewhere, I'd be looking at 70K to 80K in the same role. I love to chew on this one, Shell, because it speaks to a lot in the small business space. I think like 70% of people are employed by a small business or some crazy data. Wow. Like it's a huge thing. Like you look at all the cafes, the shops you go to in the shopping center, the stuff you buy online, a lot of that stuff is small business. So before you talk about what this dude should be doing, I'm just going to make some assumptions. I would say this person is in their 20s. I would also say that, yeah, 20 staff, that's a small business. Mm. And a lot of the time in small business, you know, you may have to do different tasks. And he was doing management when the employer was when his manager was off work he's well-rounded so yeah I, I just think he's got some skills start of his career you know in the city small business good size team what would this person do yeah context is important right if you have gotten 
within the last, let's say, six to eight months, you had a 5K raise mm. and then a, another 5% raise, I'd be mindful about when you ask for your next pay rise because you've just had, you know, eight grand added to your salary in the last six or so months is my assumption. Yes, yeah. So keep that in mind. Again, we're talking about this idea of it's a long game and in a small business, salaries are often tighter because of cash flow, whatever. Now that may not be the case in every small business, but I just want to say that upfront. What I would do, the way I would position this would be, like we've said for a few of the others, going back to your boss and saying, what are the areas you think I can grow in? How do you think I'm performing? And in the next six months, I'd love to reach the 70K mark or the 75K, whatever that goal is. One of the risks when we do our research about what we're paid in the external market is we often come back into our own business and say, well, therefore, because that's paid that outside, I absolutely have to get this. It's not that simple. You might be getting flexibility in your role. You might be getting training opportunities and all this other cool stuff that's like intangible, but isn't monetary value. So I want to mention that be conscious of the timing. Be mindful of, okay, how do I want to position this? I, I personally, if I just received 8K in a short span of time, I don't know that I'd be going back for a pay rise right at this moment, but I'd be setting it up for the next six months or so. Yeah. Like in the part one of this episode, we talked about the individual who was on a lower salary relative to all the salaries that are out there and commuting and all that stuff. I always love these conversations more with small to medium business owners because there is more of a, an incentive to keep and retain staff because at the end of the day, when you work for a big four corporate, as much as the manager has to manage the staff and all that, there's not as much buy-in because it's not their money. Now, that's not to say that if you're a middle manager in a, a big four bank that you don't care because if you had to put a new staff member on, it's a pain in the ass. But at the end of the day, if you're a small business owner and you're managing staff, you want to keep good people more than, even if it's a centimetre more or an inch more or a millimetre more, there's probably just a little bit more buy-in when it's a small business. That's such a good insight. Now, what I want you to do as well in these conversations, I just want you to get a lay of the land. There's 20 people in this team. The payroll for the business is probably 1.6 million-ish because I've just gone 80K, 80 times... 20, 1.6. So we know that the business is generating some serious money. And that's why you always got to look at the business climate. You know, coming out of COVID, when we did these episodes, we we're like, everyone just chill out. If your business has been in lockdown and shut down for the last three months, you're not asking for a pay rise. So you need to really understand, is the business growing? Is it healthy? And we know that it's a healthy business if there's 20 people and they've at least got you know, payroll could be 50% of a business's um, operating, operating expenses. So this business is probably turning over 3 mil a year. So this is the cool thing. In small business, if they flicked you another 5 or 10 grand, probably not moving the needle too much if they would keep you. So we know monetary, provided you're plugged in and engaged, there will be money there for good people. I know that. But to Shell's point, just be mindful of the timing. That's all. Yeah, and you, you can still have that conversation, but reading the room, seeing how they are with money. Like if I know enough about your business, Glenn, to know that talking about money in your space is just so common because that's called business for what you do. 
whereas some businesses have a bit of taboo around it as well. So you just got to read the vibe, gauge it, read the room, see what kind of happens in relation to pay. Are they proactive? It sounds like they're pretty proactive because they've already given a 5K raise and then a 3%. So chances are they may actually do a review without you even needing to ask in another six months. Yeah, and and that's what I did with my team last year. Like I knew that, you know, the business is growing and it's a startup and I knew that, you know, CPI and all that. So we did do some pay rises without the team needing to ask. So that's awesome. But what I want you to probably do, mate, is, and it's a guy because I saw his name, I want you to organize the catch up at least six months after that last review. Then do what we were talking about in the last episode. Maybe talk to them more about your career rather than your pay. Because remember in the book, sort your career out and make more money. The book isn't titled sort your job out, is it? Or sort your pay out. Or sort your pay out. We need to focus on you and your career and talk to your team leader or manager. And in this instance, you might be a direct report to the business owner. You may be. And if you talk to the business owner and said, hey, can we talk about my career? I'd love to be in a position that you're in at some stage and prep it, do the prep work like I want to talk in a month or whatever about my career. Is there, and this is the other thing, Shell, we, we haven't talked about it yet, but in terms of pay rise, can it be, we talked about it last episode about the flexibility. Can it be, hey, I want to do a, an extra course. Would you mind paying for that if I pass or something like that? So totally leaning to the L&D stuff. The other thing I was thinking is when you're talking about this, make it a career conversation rather than a pay conversation. I love that. I'm thinking about this person. So they, they're currently a project coordinator. So what I would do, here's how I'd have that conversation. I'd sit down and say, hey, I've been in the coordinator role for you know six months or nine months, however long it's been. My goal in the next two years is to become a senior project manager. And you actually put a role title to that because there's a pay implication with a role title That's change. Right. So yep. we have this role change conversation, which for a small business, one of the things they want to do is create a talent pipeline. Mm. So small business that is, that wants to keep their people will be thinking, okay, if I have over time, I'm going to need another senior project manager as the business grows and I want to have someone lined up for that. And then they know that that's what you're after. They can actually make that process happen for you. You could get 70 to 80K by leaving the business or you could end up on 100K by staying for two years. There's just, this is amazing. And, you know, as we talk about this stuff, it can feel like, you know, don't listen to the start of the answer because we kind of dig into this more. But I think in this one, mate, it's, it is that career thing and seeing if your team can help develop your career. And I will do this as a teaser and we will do this, Shell, about my advanced income quadrant, but there are actually only four ways to make more money than the award or the role position. But you need to first understand market forces. And I spent a lot of time talking about market forces in the book. And, you know, at the end of last year, I did an episode about uh, being in a household that has a single income and you're at a disadvantage because of scale. And I use the example with scale that a hairdresser doesn't have scale in their business because they can only do a direct trade of one haircut equals, you know, 50 or $100 for the haircut they can't cut two hairs at once. So, but what they can do, they can increase their income by charging 
$60 for a haircut, but they can't turn around and charge three or $500 for a haircut because the market just won't pay for it. Because, well, I'm going to stop going to you and paying you now $300 a haircut because I can go to the next town or the next street and get what I was getting before for $60. So you need to understand market forces. So in his role as a technician, there will be market forces that your work just can't pay a technician 200 grand a year. It's just not happening because they can just pay the next person. They can do an auction and say, look, we've got a role here. Who wants it? We'll start at 50 grand, no takers, <laughs> 60 grand, no takers, 70 grand, done, sold. Like, so there will be market forces with roles. So in the book, in the Make More Money chapter, I really talked about the advanced income quadrant for those who want to earn more money outside of market forces. And the only way you can do that, and I've said it before on the podcast, one. He's got the book out. Turn to page, what page number is it? Um, do you remember? Well, the, the Make More Money chapter, I kind of. It's a beast of a chapter. Yeah, we wanted to have fun. And so this chapter title is called Make More Money, Your New Favourite Hobby. <laughs> <laughs> It is everyone's, all of the listeners' favourite hobby. That's right. So the advanced income quadrant, and there's a diagram there and, you know, we talk about human skills. The first way to make more money is to be a manager of people and or processes. So as much as you like being a, a technician, market forces will say that, well, we can't pay a technician more than 90 grand or whatever. But can you get learned and train up and become a manager of people. So you're now the manager, as you talked about. Senior project manager. And now you're managing people. So now a manager can get paid more money. Or are there systems that you can control and there might be outsourced technicians um, in another state or another country? Can you be the gatekeeper? So, But that might require a higher dependency on human skills because you're working with people. The next one, be a specialist. So... Being a specialist, it won't cap out as fast with market forces because it's a niche and a specialty. Uh, like my ankle surgeon for my surgery in Sydney, I think it was an hour procedure. Specialist surgery doesn't operate in uh, public hospitals. It's like a $3,000 out-of-pocket cost. Now, he can charge that because he's a specialist within the specialty of ankles. He does a lot of keyhole surgery only and, you know, elite, elite athletes and all that. So he can name his price. Now, as a specialty, if he turned around and said, oh, Glenn, that's 50 grand out of pocket, I'll tell him to get stuffed because the market forces are, are there still, but it's a, a higher level of market forces in specialty, right? So specialist. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to jump in, but I'm just letting you go. No, go, go. <laughs> the next one, and there's a quadrant with like more income and all that stuff. The next one needs to be in sales. To have an uncapped income, and we talked about it like in the recruiter one, if you're in sales, the harder you work, the more you'll earn if you're on a bonus. So that's that's one there. Can you be in sales in your job, mate? Because this is the thing, right? He would make a better salesperson if he was interested in expanding his skills because he knows the industry and he knows the tech side of it. If they just brought in someone that was selling toothpaste and now, all right, sell this technical stuff, they're not going to be as good because they don't know the requirements of the business and actually to get in the weeds and really understand. So 
yeah, he could move into a sales role. Hey, I'm, I like people. I like getting out there. Can I be more of a, a sales role for the business? So that's another way to make more money. And the fourth way is to be a business owner, which requires a lot more risk and all that stuff. So heartache, tears, blood, all that sweat. stuff. So <laughs> there's really only four ways to make more money outside an award or to be above market forces. And that is to be a specialist, to be a manager of people or processes, be in sales or be a business owner. And then in the book, we talked about blending these quadrants. So can you be a specialist that's also in sales? Can you be- uh, Can I ask you, so you said blend them. Mm. So be a specialist who's also in sales or be a business owner who's also a specialist. What are you? Because you've, you've made a fair bit of money. Yeah. So I actually, I use all four. Keep going. Yeah. So number one- I'm a specialist. So in Australia, I'm known as a personal finance commentator. So I'm a sought after for what I know. So I, I love sp- that you're pointing the finger. You're pointing your finger at me. As we well, I'm said. holding the microphone and I'm <laughs> I'm doing this with authority. <laughs> I'm a manager of people and processes. So we've got a whole process of producing podcasts and all that stuff, and we've got a team that I manage. I'm in sales. I sell ads. So. We've got untapped income with the sales, right? So the more people that we grow with the podcast, I'm still doing the same amount of work selling the ad, but it's whether I sell the ad for X or Y, X because there might be more listeners this month so I can make more money because I'm in sales. Y because I also own everything. So I've covered the four parts of the advanced income quadrant. Which is why then your earning potential is a lot higher. It's uncapped. Yes, for I love that though, that we can find that blend. So we start with focusing on maybe one area where we want to become a specialist and then we actually progress and we can eventually end up across and occupy all areas of that income quadrant Yeah. to have that uncapped earning potential. Yeah, but that's just, and this is why I want you to take the time and read this chapter and, you know, read the book in order because we have to do things in order. Yeah, because we start the book by talking about your strengths. You really need to know your strengths to be able to answer that question. Have we just transitioned to the book sales part? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. Like, And this is why I said read, sort your money out in any order you want. It's all good. Whether you want to start in at superannuation or start in at paying off debt or start at investing, I would really encourage you with this book to read it in chapter order because I couldn't occupy the four parts of the advanced income quadrant when I was 23 years old. I just didn't have the experience and the runs on the board to be considered the specialist, to be considered a go-to in Australia. But the other thing is like if you, let's say you look at that advanced income quadrant and you think about, well, I'd like to be a manager, but if you actually understand your strengths and skills and you go, you know what, when I actually tested that theory, I realized I can't stand people and I don't want to lead them because Honestly, leading people is one of the toughest gigs. So like, that's totally fine. It's just testing it and figuring out what are my strengths? What am I good at? And therefore, how do I make more money based on what I actually enjoy doing? Because just because you can earn more money being a manager doesn't mean you actually enjoy it. Whereas you could go specialist, go super niche and make a crap ton of money. Mm, Yeah. So look, I just loved everyone's examples uh, that that they've sent in. 
But let us know how you go. Send us an Instagram. If you if you did listen to this and you tried some of our techniques. Send us a thank you, handwritten thank you yes. card. Or if it the sent, PO box is on the website. Send Glenn a hard copy letter on a letterhead with like just and sign it physically. Yeah. <laughs> Can I also I say, it. if you like career content, come over to My Millennial Career because that's where we do our thing. Yeah. Talk about this all day. It's so funny, like, Shell. We were saying, and even Vince said this last year at our Christmas party when we unveiled the book for you. In fact, if you are in Newcastle and you want to come to our book launch event, it's on the 2nd of February. We'll also put a link in the show note to buy tickets. It's going to be so good. So we're doing a book launch in Newcastle Thursday night, the 2nd of February. Come along to that. But when we, I said to like Shell and Vince separately, I'm like- the career book, it's going to be harder to sell because it's such a niche subject. Like career is boring, boring. But you're like, it's not. And Vince is like, it's not everyone has a career. Everyone has a career. This is the funny thing that I keep saying to you. Yeah. Not everyone's buying a property every day, but everyone bloody has a like, – everyone works. Yeah. And like we all have to slog this thing out. So why not make it epic rather than a drag? Totally. So invest in you first, your career – if you're like that listener who thought they wanted to leave the grad program and all that, and it's sure, it's different if you're being bullied or there's something weird going on. We don't want to get in the way of you leaving. But if it's just because I believe I can get a shortcut to getting more money in the short term, we're totally against that. So yeah, I would 100% get your hands on this book and invest in you first. So we appreciate your support. We appreciate you uh, listening to the My Millennial Money podcast and the My Millennial Property. No, you're the career podcast. <laughs> Same for my property, for my career. <laughs> but yeah, we've outstayed our welcome. I'm Glenn James and you are... Shelly Johnson. We'll see you soon. Good luck, everyone, with your career. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.